very happy new year and welcome to episode 38 of the wheelhouse our first in 2019 it has been a long long hiatus from the podcast if you're a first time listener i'm aaron goldsmith one of the mariners broadcasters we're joined of course by mariners general manager jerry depoto who is back at t-mobile park i am on the first leg of the mariners caravan we are in a beautiful, albeit rainy, downtown Portland, Oregon. Colin O'Keefe is uh, the czar of the podcast. Jerry, it has been way, way too long. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. First of all, Jerry, you're healthy and you are okay. You gave us a scary during the winter meetings, my man. Yeah, and what, and what was, a, I guess, an off-season of heavy lifting? It uh, culminated with a, a December trip to the hospital, but... But I'm doing okay now. I, I, uh, a little bit of a scare. I had some uh, pulmonary embolisms, uh, blood clots in my lungs. But uh, I think we've got it under control. They're being treated. And I may have to adjust some lifestyle, but nothing crazy. Okay. Well, we're happy to hear you're doing all right. Uh, and also, if you are a first-time uh, listener to the podcast, uh, Colin has done a masterful job getting us uh, – out to the masses. So wherever you find your podcast, you can always subscribe to The Wheelhouse, iTunes, Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, wherever you can find a podcast, you can more than likely find The Wheelhouse. So we hope that you uh, tune in often and subscribe as we aim to kind of bring the podcast back now in 2019. In fact, Jerry, when we were on uh, day number one of the Mariners Caravan last night, we were in a, a public forum for a Q&A. Uh, I've got Jason Bradford with me on the caravan, Justice Sheffield as well, Ryan Roland Smith, former Mariner, now Mariner broadcaster. And Jerry, you'll be very happy to know that one of the questions asked was, Aaron, when's the wheelhouse coming back? And I, <laughs> I made the promise at the risk of jinxing the podcast that we would be recording today. So I'm happy that we can deliver on that promise. But the good people of Oregon, Jerry, they subscribe, they download, they listen, they need more wheelhouse. It's its priorities. I, th I think it speaks for itself that in an off season where we've had a considerable change, the the most <laughs> the most glaring absence has been the wheelhouse. There's no question. I will say, and kind of uh, you know, so people don't want to tar and feather O'Keefe thinking that he's taken all this time off. Uh, we have tried. We have efforted highly to uh, get an episode on the books sooner than right now as we record on the 8th of January. Uh, your schedule, my schedule, Colin's vacation schedule, uh, it made it very difficult uh, to get all this to work out. And so I'm happy that we're finally getting it together. We're not going to be able to cover everything that's happened uh, in terms of transactions in 2019 today, but we do want to hit on some of the main things uh, and first of all, let's start, Jerry, with uh, kind of the, the biggest news out of T-Mobile Park recently, and that is YK, Yusei Kikuchi, uh, who has uh, inked a multi-year deal with the Mariners. And first of all, Jerry, I mean, not that you want to say too much about just a press conference itself, but that was one of the most impressive press conferences I think any of us have seen is YK really, uh, my goodness, he, he won the crowd over, uh, spoke in English. Uh, was, of course, talked about being so eager to be a Mariner, was so grateful to you, to Scott Service, to Kevin Mather, to the Mariners organization to help him fulfill a lifelong dream of coming and pitching in the States and Major League Baseball. First of all, just tell us uh, from your perspective what that day was like for you and the organization. Oh, it, it was a fantastic day. I, I, I get a kick now. It's two references on your part. I get a kick out of T-Mobile Park. I think that's another big story, but uh, I I have really enjoyed the way this has come together with Yusei Kikuchi. 
And, and I said to him and Scott Boris and, and, and his family that of all the things we've done in these last three years here with the Mariners and, and particularly in this offseason, which has been a heavy lifting offseason with a lot of change, this may have been the most enjoyable because of the people we were dealing with and, and how unexpected it was. You know, we, we were very involved in this from the beginning, and we had, you say, as part of our general plan for what we wanted our, the restructure of our roster to look like. Uh, dating back to midsummer last year, we've been, uh, I guess, paying attention with a close eye for when he was going to, to post. And as this crested and we got a chance to, to negotiate with Scott Boris, uh, I think we were able to collaborate on putting together a very creative deal for you say. And it was at that time that we actually got to meet him and, and spend time. And what an unbelievable young guy. And his wife, Rumi, is delightful. Their family, terrific. And we had dinner, uh, which you may be interested in knowing. We went to uh, the Metropolitan Grill. We went to Seattle Zone and, uh, and feasted. I will say feasted. You say does have an appetite uh, fit for a king. But we sat down, had a great meal. And uh, and during the during the meal, we were talking about the press conference, which was then about 48 hours out. And this was on New Year's night. So uh, we, we brought in the new year having dinner. Myself, Scott Service, our AGM, Justin Hollander. We had dinner with the Kikuchis. And and uh, it was at that point that we started talking about the press conference. And he mentioned that he had he was intent on delivering his intro in English. And, and I told him I thought that was admirable. It was, uh, you know, it, it showed courage. And when we got in that room and he started actually answering the questions in English in an open forum like that, not knowing what the questions were going to be and having to think about and formulate his answers, I thought it was the most courageous press conference I'd ever seen. For, for a player who clearly English is not his first language, I thought he did a remarkable job, you know, and he showed a lot of, a lot of courage. It was really impressive, and it really was really quite fun to watch when you consider the fact that you're right. Most guys in that position would go completely through their interpreter, and you really wouldn't get a feel for the guy uh, whatsoever in a setting like that, but uh, nothing could be further from the truth from when YK was up there. You know, I, it's funny, Jerry, because – I think any of us associated with a team, when people talk to us about the Mariners and the current state of the Mariners, one of the first questions that we've received in recent days has been, what do you think about YK? And I have to be really honest. I have no idea. I have never seen him pitch aside from the clips that we see online or on MLB Network. So with that in mind, obviously this is a guy who comes uh, with great fanfare and with a very impressive resume pitching in Japan. Can you tell us about him on the mound as a pitcher? Sure. Yeah, YK is a, he's a power lefty. It's a four-pitch mix. He's His fastball ranges oh, anywhere from 92 to 98 miles an hour. Uh, average velocity is typically right around 94. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an electric ride on his fastball. We are very encouraged with his ability to pitch over the barrel and, and feel like that's something that can be enhanced here as he transitions to MLB. He's also got a power slider that we would reference as his out pitch. It is a real, you know, down and across slicer, mid eighties pitch with, you know, it's real bite. It's we consider it well above average by major league standards. He also throws a curveball and a changeup. 
the curveball is more of a change of pace that he uses for for a strike and you know just get me a strike and then he has a split finger that's more of a chase or finish pitch and we feel like that pitch also has some ceiling to it that there's some upside there with the the split and you know the four pitch mix he has really refined his command over these last two seasons and like you said, really accomplished pitcher in Japan, a three-time All-Star, a thousand-plus innings at the professional level with an ERA in the 2.8 range and a strikeout and inning type. It's uh, it's really encouraging skill set. We feel like there's a lot to tap into, and he's still just 27 years old, and we feel like he's a part of the long term here with the Mariners. Is there anything about his delivery that is particularly deceptive? It seems to be like that is one of the things that's been referenced a number of times. Yeah, you know, like like a lot of the pitchers who come from the MPB and, you know, even domestic U.S.-born players who go over and play in the MPB, a guy like Tony Barnett comes to mind or Miles Mikolas, they, they, they come up with a, a strange pause or a tick in their delivery that just throws off the timing of a hitter just ever so little. And in Yusei's case, he has that same type of, of uniqueness in his delivery, and it's enhanced by the fact that he has a particularly late arm. You know, and his arm gets up into the throwing zone later than a lot of guys. And part of that is because he has such a fast arm. He's able to catch up on the other side and it creates a, a natural body shield so that the ball is more difficult to pick up by the hitter. We're going to talk in a little bit about kind of the roster reset and the roster as it looks right now. Although, as we know, it will almost certainly change at least a little bit between now and, and Peoria and then on to Japan. But can you tell us, I think th this move surprised some people from the standpoint, Jerry, of you were, of course, trading a many more veteran players to bring in more youthful players, some that we will not even see at the major league level in 2019. So with that in mind, somebody who is ready to go and contribute right now in the major leagues for the Mariners at a high level, how does YK fit into your vision of 2019 and then also beyond? Well, like so many of the players that we've picked up, and and we can talk about them as the as the podcast goes along. But guys like Malik Smith and Omar Narvaez, and there there have been a number of players that we've picked up through the course of this off season via these trades that are you know twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven years old, and in the what we think are the the early stages of their major league primes, we would count you say in that group and and believe he fits very well with the group that was left here behind guys like Marco and Mitch etc you couple that with with what we started to do and I guess Mike Zanino to the to the Tampa Rays was the the first move as this all triggered what we started to do was was sometimes wildly misinterpreted in the in the national media and and even in some cases from the feedback we received from our own fans. This was never about seeing how bad we could be in 2019. <laughs> this was always about resituating a roster and putting ourselves in position to take a step back in 2019 with the intent of moving forward quicker in 2020 and 2021 and believing that by time we were you know, fully grown with this new roster in 2021, it really timed up well with what was happening in baseball around us. We envision that that's a time where the teams that are in high power right now, the elite level teams in the American League, will likely be pressed with big decisions on free agents or aging themselves. And, and now we've made up ground by choosing to do this in the 
off season of 2018 prior to uh, what we thought was an imminent demise with a roster that was aging coming off of an 89 win season. Hopefully that explains a little better than we've never intended to tank. This was always about finding a way to effectively hold serve. We're a middle team. We've been in the middle for three years and, and we don't think we're significantly different than that right now, a middle team in the American league, but this gives us a real opportunity to start growing into something more and catch those elite teams sooner than later. I'm glad you, you mentioned that because it's been a long time since we've talked on this format, and a lot has obviously happened since we last chatted. And one of the questions that I received last night at a fan forum, a Q&A setting, was, Aaron, tell me why this won't be a 100-loss team in 2019. And I was, I was pretty taken aback by that, uh, but that is the sentiment or the thought of at least one and probably more than one uh, Mariners fan that all of a sudden you see these names departing and that you automatically translate that to a tear it down, strip it to the studs, and start a five, six, seven-year process. But when you look at this roster as it is right now, I mean, just look at the offensive side of things, right? You still have guys who have won multiple gold gloves, multiple all-star games. You still have D. Gordon and Kyle Seeger and Mitch Hanniger and Malik Smith, as you mentioned. Omar Narvaez is a, been, was a very accomplished offensive catcher last season. I mean, it's incredible uh, that when you just look at a headline that so-and-so player has been traded, there's just – and I understand it. There's a, a immediate thought process of, well, there goes 2019. But as you just referenced, nothing could be further from the truth. And we have, you know, even our players, as we've gone through this and, and the holdovers from our roster, as we get, you know, we're moving toward the middle of January and and there's not a lot left to do roster-wise, our, our players are pretty excited about where we're going and and what we've been able to do. And I, I think the, the youth, the athleticism, the energy, along with some of the veteran leadership and the character that comes with guys like Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion. And, you know, it is a, it's, it's a fun group. There's a little bit of everything. We do still have some questions to answer, particularly with our bullpen, but we feel like we are so much better situated for the years ahead than we were when this offseason began. Uh, it's, and I know organizationally from our scouting group to the front office and player development, everybody here has been encouraged by the direction we've taken. Sometimes it's difficult and, and change is never super popular, but you know, at this stage we couldn't have envisioned it going any better or smoother than it has to this point. Now we just have to find out if we can play. (laughs) This has been discussed a little bit by you and the front office regarding YK and his transition into Major League Baseball from pitching professionally in Japan. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about the schedule of a starter in Japan, of course, compared to the United States, and how you and Scott will be spending 2019 as a way to smoothly transition YK from from one uh, routine to another? Well, in, in Japan, there's always there's one off day per week as a standard. Uh, typically, there's no games in the MPB on Mondays. So there's six games in a week, and each one of their starting pitchers pitches once a week. So in effect, it is a six-man rotation, and, and that's the way they roll. So a lot of the difficulty for the Japanese pitcher as they 
pitchers as they come to MLB is the transition from a, an every six-day start or once a week to a, a a five-man rotation where we're oftentimes playing 18 and 20 straight days. So, you know, the, the routine changes. And one of the things, and Scott and I have talked about it for years as players, the, the thing that, that makes you go is your, it's your routine. It's, it's, it's the way you prepare pregame. It's your mindset going into a game. And immediately when we sign players from Japan, we change their routine. And, now I, whether it's it's you Darvish or many before him, you know Hiroki Kuroda and Masahiro Tanaka stand out as the most unique of the players that have come from Japan to pitch in MLB because they were wildly consistent from the very start. They didn't really change their style of pitching the, the day they got here, and they were able to adapt to a five-man rotation without really suffering any kind of downtime or injury. We're we're hopeful that that YK is similar to those guys, and we think what happened with his command in a positive way over the last two years helps and represents that he's capable of that. But we want to ensure that we're not changing his routines too drastically while helping him adapt to MLB. So our thought is every six start, so he'll take five normal starts or thereabouts, and on the sixth day, we're just going to throw a one inning outing or 30 pitches, which is what we do with many of our starting pitcher prospects out of the draft, is to keep them on their routine, not take them away from understanding the value of that routine over a long 162-game season. They make their starts, but we're managing their innings, we're managing their pitch count, and we're managing the stress uh, on a fairly regular basis. And with where we are right now and what we think is a growth year, it also gives us an opportunity to peel in on the back end with guys like Eric Swanson and Justice Sheffield and and perhaps Justin Dunn as he progresses through the minor league system. It gives us an opportunity to reallocate some of our innings toward our young pitchers and give them a chance to grow and adapt as well without putting them through the punishing 192-100 inning season. So in other words, every sixth start, he will essentially be the opener for the Mariners. Exactly. And it's a, it keeps him in what would ordinarily be a bullpen day for, for the starting pitcher. It keeps him in routine and still uh, he gets the game feel and, and then he's out of there. That's never really been done at the major league level, has it, Jerry? Obviously, the opener was popularized last year, but in terms of having a starting pitcher go one inning or 30 pitches with this as the intent, with this as the goal, has that ever happened before? No, it hasn't happened before at the major league level, but it has become more of a, I don't want to say a common thing, but more of an accepted alternative or strategy at the minor league levels. And and this is something that over the course of the last 15 years or so that uh, the groups that I've been with in a couple of different organizations we've employed. And we did this in the minor leagues with Tyler Skaggs and Patrick Corbin and Trevor Bauer. And and we've done it here uh, with the Mariners, with many of the pitching prospects that you see in our system today. And, and we'll do it again with guys like Logan Gilbert and whoever comes on board in 2019. Now, the mo- most important question was, was YK – is he a filet guy? Is he a bone and ribeye guy? Yeah, he went big. Did we go he surf went, and turf? <laughs> he went big. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I knew I liked him. I knew I liked him. I, I will say that the, when the when the uh, the T-bone, bone-in T-bone came out 
And uh, he and Justin Hollander, our AGM, uh, who's you know not Justin's a uh, an average size guy. Uh, you know the stakes came out, and I I was wondering if the stakes were bigger than they were. But uh, they they put him back, and it was you know protein is going to be uh, is not going to be an issue. Protein is is definitely going to be knocked down. <laughs> well, we we want to talk a little bit about some uh, other trades as well. Uh, one in particular before we get to the deal with the Mets, since uh, I'm spending another, let's see, about 48 hours with Justice Sheffield. And my first time interacting with Justice uh, is here on the caravan. Now, what a really down-to-earth, uh, humble young man from a really small town in Tennessee, uh, really just kind of a country guy in a lot of ways. Uh, what has been your interaction, whether it be over the phone or in person, with Justice in his uh, first days uh, as a Mariner? Well, I met him personally or, or live for the first time yesterday when he got in for the caravan. I've talked to Justice on the phone a handful of times. He's, uh, like you said, very humble, very down to earth, uh, very confident in, in what he can do and, and for a good reason and and very energized. And I would say that is consistent with, I, and I'm, I'm not going to miss anybody here, with every single player we acquired. The the, the quality of the human being on the other end for each of these trades has been, you know, considerable for us. And Justice is among them. Now, this was the he was the National High School Player of the Year as a high school senior coming out of a small town in Tennessee, was a first round draft pick, celebrated in most prospect circles, widely considered one of the 25 or so best prospects in baseball for most of the last three years. And, you know, has been traded in a high profile trade before. So this wasn't new to him. And, and I think he sees it as a challenge. He also sees it as an opportunity. Uh, we have we have a great ballpark with a team that's doing something unique. And you know, from the very get go, I think he saw this as a strong positive. And another power lefty, actually his repertoire, with the exception of not necessarily having the slow curveball for a strike, his repertoire is not very much different than what I just described with Yusei Kikuchi. You know, generally 92 to 97 or 98 miles an hour, going to average somewhere in the mid-90s, 93, 95. And, and he's got a real developed now major league slider. That's a real pitch. And, you know, the challenge for Justice is just going to be honing in his command and, and continued development with his changeup. But at 23 years old, we're very encouraged that that's, that's not just likely, it's just a matter of time and experience. We're thrilled to have he, to have Eric Swanson, Justin Dunn, what we've done to add depth to our young pitching profile has is, is, uh, been one of the most encouraging things of this offseason. I had to ask him how to pronounce the name of his hometown, and I wrote it down phonetically. Telahoma, Telahoma, Tennessee is uh, where Justice is from, which I must say is the first time I've heard of Telahoma, but it sounds lovely. Uh, <laughs> we'll be talking uh, plenty more about Justice in episodes to come, but I thought it was a little topical since uh, he was uh, riding on a bus with us for the next couple of days. Well, let's uh, transition, Jerry, to uh, – one other trade, uh, and probably the most noteworthy trade uh, that you made have made so far uh, this winter, and that is with the Mets. And I will challenge you, although it won't be much of a challenge, to somehow work Tom Seaver into this following discussion. Uh, but <laughs> I so, accept this challenge, Aaron. I accept this yeah. challenge. <laughs> so Robinson Cano, of course, and Edwin Diaz uh, are making their way to the Mets, and in exchange, Jay Bruce right-handed reliever Anthony Swarzak, another righty, uh, Gerson Bautista, and a guy that is uh, thought of very highly 
in all circles, and particularly in, in your camp, obviously, is outfielder Jared Kelenic and a righty Justin Dunn have been uh, come over to the Mariners organization in return. Obviously, Diaz was somebody that you referenced early on in the offseason as somebody that it would take a really compelling package of prospects to get in return for you to give up a guy who just is obviously coming off one of the most historic seasons by any closer. Uh, you obviously got that package. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, on, on many fronts, you know, sometimes you have to view it through multiple lenses. And when we started this offseason, it wasn't on our radar to, to move Edwin Diaz. We viewed Edwin, and I, I've mentioned it multiple times, we viewed Edwin and Marco Gonzalez and Mitch Hanniger as kind of the, the central part of that next core that we essentially wanted to build around, knowing that the, the general volatility of back-end relievers probably makes it uh, a little bit riskier with, with Edwin, but not so much that we didn't think he was a, a superstar quality player that we were looking to build around. Now, having said that, we really didn't think that there was a scenario in which we were going to move Robinson Cano. And when, when the planets lined up with the Mets in this deal through discussion, you know, it, part of the appeal in adding Edwin Diaz was understanding how much future flexibility was created by also moving Robinson Cano. And I don't want to downsell Robbie. Robbie had five excellent years for the Mariners, delivered uh, what was – you know, commensurate value to plus value in a huge contract. You know, it's a it's very hard to sign a two hundred and forty million dollar contract and actually deliver a, above average value. And we thought it was wisest to to not see if we could repeat that five years with the next five years. And and it cost us Edwin Diaz, but we don't feel like we sold low on on Eddie. You know, we view it as almost two trades. We traded Robbie and Cash for Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak, and we traded Edwin Diaz for Justin Dunn, Jared Kalanick, and Gerson Batista. You know, if if you wrap your head around it in that way, we think in in that machination, Jared Kalanick is is among the best young outfield prospects in baseball. This is a real bat with future impact. Justin Dunn is a real arm talent who has a chance to to be something in the middle or up part of a rotation or a back-end reliever with a real power arm, which is what we saw at Boston College. Again, a mid-90s fastball, a super athlete who has a real rotation on a, on a breaking ball and last year really advanced and took a huge step in his development. And once we had a chance to meet these players and get to know them a little bit, as much as we think of their ability, they're even more exceptional as human beings. And I, I could tell, I could go through a whole podcast with what we've learned about these two guys, and, and it's pretty phenomenal. And oh, by the way, Gerson Batista throws 100. <laughs> so that doesn't, that doesn't stink either. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Kellenek is obviously the biggest prize here. He's taken sixth overall by the Mets back in 2018, not long ago, of course. And one of these guys who was a cold-weather high school player from Wisconsin, I know he came to Seattle and was at uh, T-Mobile Park, uh, then Safeco Field, for uh, a pre-draft workout. Can you tell us what are your memories from that experience face-to-face with him? Pretty phenomenal. You know, at that time, like with so many of the guys that go in the first round of a draft, Jared was running around doing private workouts for the teams that that effectively had interest in taking him. And 
I believe he was uh, he had spent the previous two days uh, popping in and out of of big league ballparks, taking batting practice, and going through workouts. And as you know, we were we were sitting a little closer to the middle of the draft than the top of the draft. And we didn't know if we had a real shot at getting Kellenic, but we thought he was the best player on the board. And, you know, when we had the opportunity to bring them in for a, for a workout, it wound up being just him. You know, usually these things are more, you know, eight or ten players, in some cases a bigger number than that. And, and the players have a chance to interact with one another. And it just seems like another day at the ballpark. In Jared's case, it was just him. And he rolled in, he landed on the red eye, came out to what was then Safeco Park, Safeco Field, and and uh, and and just, I mean, it was almost a Roy Hobbs-like show. It was fascinating, hitting balls off the hit it here sign and the glass windows, and and uh, and he seemed frustrated with himself that he wasn't going the other way enough. <laughs> it was a, a it was a phenomenal day, our uh, in a in a way that you will appreciate because you have met the the person. Tom McNamara came walking over to me and uh, he had his hand close to his mouth and he said, uh, Jerry, you ever seen anything like that? And I said, I said, yeah, it was, it was Roy Hobbs. I'm, I'm watching these, everything short of breaking the clock. But, you know, it, it, Jared put out clearly a very impressive workout. I really liked the, the young guy. Very, very focused, very confident, understands who he is and understands how he can get better. I, I don't think Jared Kelenic wants to be a good A-ball player. Jared Kelenic wants to be an all-star type major league player and and be that iconic figure, and he knows he has the talent to do it. And and uh, we're going to help him get along. And I don't want to rush him. You know, we'll take our time. We've developed some outfield depth, but he's he's been so fun to be around. And when he came to unannounced, showed up at, at – T-Mobile, uh, and spent the last of his his Under Armour contract money. He went out and, and spent it on Under Armour clothes, shipped them to Seattle, and then came to Seattle and distributed them at boys and girls clubs, and then went and visited the kids at the children the children's hospital here. And uh, for a 19-year-old kid to do that on his own, uh, with, with no accompaniment, not traveling with an agent, it was remarkable. I thought he was awesome. And really thrilled that he's a Mariner. Oh, my goodness. What a story. And obviously, Jerry, he's incredibly young. He's 19 years old. He's just barely dipped his toe in a pro ball. But is he somebody that you see as a center fielder long term or is he more of a corner guy or is it just too early to tell? It's too early to tell. He has the physical tools to play center field. And some of it is just going to be what our what our outlook looks like. You know, we've got Kyle Lewis. We've got Jared Kelenic. We've got Julio Rodriguez. We've got Malik Smith. We've got Braden Bishop. You know, we, we've got Jake Fraley and Dom Thompson-Williams. We, we have built up a nice cachet of athletic outfielders, many of whom currently play center field. Uh, where Jared winds up in the, the long term we're not entirely sure, but we believe the bat will carry him at whatever position he winds up. Well, uh, we'll I know we'll be talking more about uh, the players in that trade that have come to Seattle in the uh, episodes and months to come. Uh, you are 0 for 1 already, Jerry. You failed to work in Tom Seaver when discussing that trade. Uh, so we will try to use what little momentum you have into your first <laughs> Stump JD of 2019, which I plan to completely destroy you on uh but i will say this is one of the 
uh, I have to be honest with myself here. One of the almost many Stump JD questions were, Jerry, to be truthful, I don't know if I have the definitive answer, but maybe you do. What? I'm, I'm going to say Tom Seaver. And does, do, do, do I... <laughs> I'm curious, JD, Jerry, uh, can you tell me which American-born player has hit the most home runs in Japanese professional baseball history? Uh, American, not foreign player. I believe the answer to the foreign player is Alex Ramirez, uh, most recently of the Tokyo Giants. The American-born player. It's not Tom Selleck, right? <laughs> A great mustache, though. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It was furry. Um, I'm going to say American-born player Randy Bass. See, now I have to look this up just to make sure that your guy has fewer home runs than my guy. Let's see. Randy Bass, boy, great headshot on baseball reference. That is a beauty. Um, <laughs> one of the few, uh, black and white, he really looks like actually Honus Wagner a little bit there. Uh, let's see. I played for Tacoma back in 1975. He, oh, no, Jerry. No, no, no. He was terrible. Only 202 home runs for Randy <laughs> in Japan. Uh, I'm going to cut to the chase here, Jerry. Because uh, I know you're a very busy man. My guy, you ready for this name? The great Cincinnati native, Tuffy Rhodes. Oh, I Remember knew Tuffy? that. Yes, Tuffy. I believe Tuffy broke the the record, the single season home run record of Sadahara O uh, when I was over in Japan. I, I, I should have known that one. I should. I was at Tuffy's wedding. Uh, Tuffy. What? Oh, yeah. Real story here. So Tuffy Rhodes. And I had no idea you were going down the Tuffy Rhodes Avenue, but... Uh, playing for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox in 1992, which was then the AAA affiliate of the Cleveland Indians. We're, we're going through our pregame. You know, we're sweaty, we're gooey, it's hot, it's summer in Tucson. And uh, w- one of the PR people from the, the Tucson Toros, then the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros, home of Scott Service, at, uh, we had uh, one of the PR people came over with a with a bag of bats and and asked the the group of us as we just exited the field from batting practice if we would serve as the the gatekeepers for the upcoming wedding on the field. So, what we wound up standing at home plate, much like Bull Durham, if you remember, which was just released, I believe, four years prior. Uh, the, the we stood at home plate holding the bats and creating a human gate for Tuffy and his wife who came in in like a Cinderella type carriage from center field, walked through the bats, were married at home plate right there at High Corbett Field, and and uh, years later I was sitting at the at the stadium in Sendai, Japan, and watched T- Tuffy Rhodes hit what I think at the time was his fiftieth home run of the season on, on his way to. A magnificent achievement. I, I don't know that anybody realizes that how good a career Tuffy had over there. Clearly, I didn't because I went with Randy Bass. You had but, no idea. Yeah, but I was I, I was there at his wedding. I was I was an attendant. Well, uh, fortunately for you, Jerry, despite going zero for one in Stump JD in two thousand nineteen and failing with great conviction, your ability to say that you were in Tuffy Rhodes' wedding has made you an automatic winner. Uh, 464 home runs, by the way. Multiple 50 home run seasons in Japan, as uh, you alluded to. Uh, I did not see you as being a a man in his wedding, but uh, that is incredible. That is that is pretty impressive that 
you were in his wedding. I did not see that coming, Jerry. Congratulations. You are a winner <laughs> despite being a complete failure in Stump JD tonight. Uh, that's, that's pretty That's pretty good stuff. So I've salvaged com- uh, complete failure. I, oh, I think you completely salvaged it. Yeah, you could have been, you could have had no idea, which you did have no idea. But the fact <laughs> that you were in his wedding, uh, I think that makes you a winner. Uh, let's go on to some easier questions um, that you'll have better answers to. This is uh, from Drew. Remember, you can always uh, ask uh, the wheelhouse questions. Uh, a question you can email us uh the wheelhouse at mariners.com uh, drew chimes in jerry and he wants to know with the addition of so many promising prospects we've already covered uh, many of them already in the episode today uh drew's hope and focus has turned towards player development and as a longtime mariners fan he has uh, seen his fair share of guys who have been touted as uh, the second coming uh, many prospects not end up panning out what jerry in your mind is different uh, this time around and what can we watch for and track uh with the progress and he is a big fan of the podcast and is uh, very grateful for it not sure i i think the you know first and foremost this is just a different group and you know it, it, we as a player development system uh each player development system is unique to itself. It's not really a jersey. It, it's not a logo. It's not. It's not just the Mariners. It's the people who run that system, and and we're very confident in the people who are overseeing our player development system. We feel like without great talent these last couple of years, they've done a remarkable job. You know, at either a finishing off prospects in in a development sense and enhancing their appeal so that we were able to trade them for major league players or finishing players who were able to come up to, to Seattle and, and help us, even if it's free agents that we picked up in midstream and, and altering what they do. But you know, we, are, we are going to be patient. We have, we have player plans laid out for each one of our players in the system. You know, 175-ish players, and each one of them has an individualized plan with – with a checkpoint system on when we'll sit down and revisit what needs to be adjusted in those programs. And, you know, each guy's unique. Some guys are more advanced than others and, and will move quicker. But what we've been able to do in setting up our systems over the last three years, I believe is getting ready to reward us now as we infuse so much talent into our system. You know, Josh uh, read, read a, a recent article on MLB.com. Richard Justice, who does fine work uh, for the website and for MLB Network as well. Uh, Richard Jerry listed the Mariners uh, on the top five teams to surprise in 2019. Uh, he cited the rotation that has uh, really very little change to it with the addition, of course, of Kikuchi and a vastly improved farm system, as you referenced uh, I obviously would think that you would believe this is a, a, a pretty nice claim. Well, what are your thoughts on what Richard Justice has to say about the Mariners in this coming season? Well, it's encouraging. It's encouraging because what what we intended to do, which was you know, effectively not grossly change the, the outcome of our season, we still believe we can be a competitive, fun team to watch. Now, I, I don't think that, that we enter this season with similar aspirations to what we had last year. But I know when the clock ring or, or dings on opening day in Tokyo, we're going to want to win every game we play. And and uh, our players will feel that way. Our manager will feel that way. And I think we have enough talent to make a go of it. And, you know, I look back at 2016 as a season where we had a lot of fun. The, I don't know what the, the general expectations were, but I think this team is comparable to that. We, we might need – 
name tags on opening day. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of get to know you in the early spring. But there's a ton of talent on this team, and and we feel like the difference between this year and where we were in 2016 is that as we get toward midseason, there are going to be reinforcements coming from our system, and as we move toward 2020, they're going to be even more and and. That's encouraging. We still have to figure out what our bullpen looks like, uh, but you know, with with the addition of YK and the young guys in the rotation, and in a very quiet way, our our lineup is it's pretty fun lineup that has speed, it has on base ability, it has power, it has experience, and it has athletic youth, and and that should be fun. You know, we've got some questions to answer, but I don't think we're we're going to be an unenjoyable team to watch. You know, you mentioned the bullpen and. Since I am on the caravan with Chase and Bradford, it was remarkable, Jerry, talking with Chase yesterday. uh, Here's another chance for you to work Tom Seaver in. You know, he was drafted by the Mets in the 35th round, and he obviously figures to have a a role in the Mariners' bullpen as we speak in 2019. He said that when he was drafted, Jerry, somebody from the Mets' player development side of things, when he signed and came in for a brief workout, this is even before spring training, Chase asked him, uh, how do I move up, right? How do I get promoted from one level to the next and hopefully one day get to the majors? And this player development gentleman looked him right in the eye and said, well, Jason, to be fair, we don't see you as somebody who will get past high A. You're really just an organizational filler. Uh, so that's not something you really need to worry about. I mean, I couldn't believe that, that somebody would tell another player that they just drafted uh, something like that and then it kind of it just adds to uh, how great of a story it is for Chasen uh, that he has got into the major leagues and uh, put together a, such a fine season last year I, I should be stunned to silence my first thought on that is do you know who never heard that from the New York Mets upon entering their system <laughs> who's that Jerry Tom Seaver never heard that there's a I mean the, now there you go okay on the way out the door to, to Jacksonville they said make it quick buddy you're the franchise multiple <laughs> Cy Youngs in your future you know Jason Bradford has been he has been the classic overachiever I, I have to say that that some of those stories have been shared in years past one of our goals in player development is to help every single one of our players reach their ceiling, whatever that ceiling is, and then break through it. And it, that's that's our our job. And we don't want any single one of those guys to feel like they don't have the ability to, to be a major league all-star because that's how they achieve. And that's how Chase and Bradford's are wire, wired. And, and that's how they get to the big leagues and, and sneak up on you. And there's too many stories of guys that are far down in the draft that wind up becoming major league contributors, if not major league stars, guys like Don Mattingly and Keith Hernandez and Ken Griffey, the the first. And I I think there's so many in that category that you you can't take any player and consider him a non-factor. We we won't call any of our players a non-prospect. Every one of them's got a chance. Yeah, it's been it's been fun spending some time. That's one of the great things about the caravan from our perspective is, you know, we see these guys all the time during the season, but they're working, they have a routine and they got things to do, but here we can actually uh, spend some time on a bus and get to know these guys a little bit better. It's been really fun getting to know Chase and a quiet guy, uh, but a good sense of humor and some sneaky humor and man, you can tell it's a really hard worker and a guy who uh, goes about his business the right way. 
Well, as we uh, kind of wrap up this uh, first episode of 2019, a uh, quick reminder, single game tickets are now on sale. Opening day will be here before you know it. Mariners open up at home against the Red Sox this year. And a, a unique Mariners Fan Fest is all set and lined up March 23rd and 24th. Uh, normally it happens uh, kind of the weekend before the Super Bowl, but this year we'll be doing it once we return from Japan. Tickets are $10 for adults, free for kids. Plus, this is pretty cool. You can grab a fun pack for just $25, and with that you get access to both days of Fan Fest, March 23rd and 24th. Plus, you get access to the ex- exhibition games against the Padres on March 25th and 26th. So that's a pretty cool deal right there. Pitchers and catchers, Sherry, report one month from Friday. And we'll be talking plenty between now and then. It's good to get back on a routine with you, Jerry. Glad you're feeling much better. Happy New Year to you, man. And uh, thanks for all the insights as always. Oh, you got it, Aaron. Can't wait to get going again. 